Hello, it's Denise from Women Beyond a Certain Age. We have a very dear friend of Cindy's and I on today as a guest. And she's an old friend, but not meaning she's not old. She's still a youngster, but we've known each other for a very long time. And it's my friend's chef, Stephanie Hirsch. Hello, Stephanie. Well, hello there. Can you believe it now? Seriously, I want everyone to realize something. We're going to talk to Stephanie about her career. Stephanie has been cooking for a very long time. I met Stephanie at IACP, I think, Stephanie, in Chicago. So I, I have no idea when that was. It's got to be 20 years ago. At least. At least. Was Chicago's the one where I had a broken ankle? Was I hobbling around with a, with a, a cast well, yeah, on? I remember that one, too. But even... <laughs> All I remember is, and I need people to know, it's so funny. Stephanie was Julia Child's assistant for executive assistant for 16 years, Stephanie? Right. Just, just about. Yep. Just yep. about. So that's how I originally met Stephanie. And now Stephanie has gone on and she works for Oceana Cruises. So we'll get to that. She is a teaching chef on the cruise ship. And having, I did that for a while, Stephanie, I know you're the entertainment, honey. You're part of the entertainment on the cruise. Exactly. Exactly. But was ours is slightly different from what you did because Oceania has hands-on classes. Oh my God. How fabulous. Yeah. Yes. No, I've seen pictures. I've seen some of your pictures and they're absolutely beautiful. So that's who's with us today. But I have to start with this because this is one of my favorites. You and I were in Chicago and I think we were, we went to several fancy dinners together. Right. And that's how I met you, though, from that lovely man who loved Cuba, whose name totally escapes me, Steve. His name's Steve, and he had a cooking school in Indiana. Remember that? This was a long Steve Kniep, yes. yes. Oh, God, Stephanie, you still got it. Honey, you have to remember, I'm 70, okay? I'm a one foot sure it wasn't in Dallas that we met. Maybe it was Chicago. I can't remember it doesn't anymore. Matter. But I do remember yeah. one fancy dinner. You turned to me and it was about 5,000 courses. And I want to say it was Charlie Trotters. And as we ate all those courses, which by the way, we needed to color our hair. We needed a sleeping bag. <laughs> we needed like another meal to just make up for the 10 courses we'd had because they were tiny. But the dessert came and you turned to me, looked right at me and you said, this needed more chocolate. <laughs> thinking god she's absolutely right she just cut right to the quick on that one i don't think we told charlie that when he came out no probably but not <laughs> you were so funny because it was so true so honey that's i know that's how we met and then we did get to spend many fun times together and sometimes you were in la and different things but right now HBO, I'm sure you know, and I hope they interviewed you, and you have to tell us that HBO Max is running their version of Julia. Right. Have you seen any of it? I only saw the first episode because I'm here in New Zealand, and it only came on TV last week. So Friday, <laughs> I saw the first one, and I'm going to watch it on this Friday to see the second one. Okay. And if I still don't like it, then I'm not going to watch the okay, rest. Okay, now listen. <laughs> Now, I have to tell you, because people want your opinion, I loved the movie, okay? I thought Meryl Streep, I loved the Julie and Julia movie, even her Julie and Julie, even though I couldn't stand the blogger. Do you know what I mean? But right. 
Adams played her so darling that yes, it yes, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I really was thinking that Amy Adams was the blogger and not that annoying woman who was the blogger. <laughs> that's all I can right. say. Gotcha. That, well, this, that's... But I loved it. And of course, the movie was beautiful because the production value of it was so beautiful of France in those days. And even though I knew Julia Child, you really knew Julia Child, but I spent a lot of time with Julia at certain periods of her life. I felt that Meryl, it was so accurate. So I just watched the HBO, the first one, and I thought, huh? Yeah. <laughs> I'm not in love either, Stephanie. Okay, sorry, so here's here's the deal. The, the, oh. the Meryl Streep one, I think that it was cast beautifully because Stanley Tucci did Paul to the letter. Um, Meryl Streep, at least, even though you knew you were still watching Meryl, she was darn close. Yes. I think that the the Julia storyline in that film was about 90% accurate. The the whole that whole Julie Julia film was taken from the perspective of Julie Powell. Yes. So there according to the producers there were no errors because that's how Julie saw things going. So Julie's image of herself is not necessarily what the rest of the world might think. So well said. That, that having been said, I, that from the first version that I, uh, the first episode that I saw of the Julia, the new Julia one, yeah. which I really wanted to be great. It doesn't look like Julia. It doesn't sound like Julia. Paul doesn't look or sound like Paul. Dorothy Zimberg did not. Well, of course, I didn't know Dorothy when she was that young, but um, it, nobody looks or sounds like. And I also think that Paul, I mean, now granted, I only knew him after, but I had Julia's recounting of all those stories and all those times. And Paul was much more supportive and much more loving. And there's no, to me, there was no magic. The romantic scenes in that made me think Julia was so damn good at creating her own story. Why is everybody trying to make a new one for her? Well said. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, but I will tell you that I just flew from, I just flew to, to New Zealand not long ago. And on the flight was the documentary, which I don't know if you've seen that Betsy West did. I haven't She's seen the one. Okay, so she did the Ruth Bader Ginsburg one, the RBG documentary. She did the most brilliant bio of Julia. Okay. That is hands down. And of course, it's 97% of it is Julia talking about herself and her story. And then you have all these people that were real people in Julia's life talking about her. And it was great, but it was really funny because there I am on the plane with my mask, you know, covering my face and um, and I'm looking around and I'm seeing like maybe 15 or 20 other people watching this documentary. And I'm thinking I could stand up and do all on the airplane, but I didn't. I just get my mouth shut. <laughs> now, let me tell you, I, see, I only met Paul once okay, right. in the 80s because before I met you, Julia came to L.A. for and was on the home show as a guest. Okay, right. I don't know if I ever told you this, but I, the home show was in a flutter that Julia Child was coming. Okay, now I worked with the prop man. His name was Bear, big old union prop guy. You know, with the butt crack. He was like the perfect 
perfect prop man. They didn't do a lot of cooking segments. They did a few, but not, they certainly never had anyone like Julia on the show before. This is in the 80s. Right. To make a long story short, I had met Bear. I was trying to be a food stylist. He called me and he said, listen, listen, kid, I got an opportunity for you. I don't know if we can pay anything, but you come to the show and if she needs anything, at least you'll know what she's talking about. That was what he basically <laughs> Okay. I said, okay. Now I get there and the producer says, Julia's bringing a cake and she's just going to serve the cake to us and a couple of guests. She's just talking. It's no food, Denise. It'll be really easy for you. I said, fine. But I got there. There was still a table set up. I put, I found a clean tablecloth. I found some dishes from props. You know, I found, I stole some flowers from one of the dressing rooms. I tried to make the table look nice. So who arrives but Julia Child with this pink box? They bought it at a bakery. They had to. I mean, she just right with her and couldn't have been sweeter and just said, hello, I'm Paul. It was very nice. Like, hello, I'm Paul Child. And they said, Julia, this is Denise. She's going to help you. No, good. <laughs> and she passes. <laughs> I'm not. And said, passes me this box that I look at. I think, did someone sit on this box? You know what I mean? Oh, dear. <laughs> But I take it out. The cake's a little mooshed, but I'm now I'm finding a knife. I figure I can kind of make it look better. Julia came to the back and says, oh, that cake's going to need some nuts. <laughs> and, and I went, nuts? And I'm thinking, what are you talking about, old lady? I don't have any nuts. What are you talking about? <laughs> I thought, I have no decor. I have no candles. I got nothing. And But at least I had the presence of mind. I said to um, Okay, I'll find something. And I said to her, do you want me to start it? Would you like me to have a piece already out on a plate and then and, and cut, you know, some piece? Yes, that would be great, she said. Because you know how sometimes cakes are soft and they fall apart. I thought, oh my God, we don't know what we've got here. It was just a chocolate cake with vanilla frosting or some damn thing. I went to craft service, Stephanie, and somebody had, they had peanuts or something on the thing and I chopped them up and I shoved them you would love it you know what a pastry chef I'm not and I shoved them around the cake it did look a little bit better <laughs> and a little bit better and the segment went on and she couldn't have been more charming and of course no one cared about the cake no one gave it right dinner. right and thank god in those days we didn't know about peanut allergies because I could have killed somebody <laughs> but that was it and then she she like said bye-bye thank you and I didn't see her again for a couple of years till I got to IACP, do you know what I mean? And then if you remember, um, there were just, you said to me one year, and then I want you to talk. I met you girls in some city and you had a big room and you said, Denise, share a room with me. And Julie- I remember that. <laughs> I said, lovely. And I got there and she was having her hair and makeup done. And I walked in and I said, hello. I'm Denise from Los Angeles because I didn't want her to just think I was somebody breaking in your room. And she said, oh, I'm Julia from Pasadena. <laughs> it was the cutest thing ever. And that was it. And then all the times that you and I, that you um, shared stories with me and the times that I shared with you that was extraordinary. Now, I'm glad you don't like that show so much. And I understand now you're going to turn around and get on a ship because you're going back to work so you won't be able to see them will you right right exactly All right. exactly but, but that's okay because you know I'm I um 
my the only constant in my life is change but that's right at this point my schedule is I get back on the ship and then I'm off again in August so I'm guessing that by August I'll be able to stream it or find it on something by then now yeah. I have to tell you, I love the actor in the TV, the new Julia. I love that guy from Frasier that's playing Paul, but he doesn't, it doesn't ring true to me at all, though I didn't know Paul very well, okay? Yeah, Paul. and I, as I said, I only, I knew Paul, but I only knew him after he was already um, dealing with, with uh, dementia, or as Julia called it, the dwindles. But he was even at that point, I mean, I remember when Julia would visit him twice a day, every day. And then when she was traveling, she would call him twice a day at those visiting times. She also was extremely generous and fortunate enough that she hired visiting nurses to go visit him in the nursing home when she was traveling so that he wouldn't be alone, that there would be somebody there to you know, play cards with him or do whatever. And one day we got a phone call saying that there was a, a shortage of staff and the visiting nurses weren't going to go visit Paul because he was safe. He was in a nursing home and because they were short staffed, they needed to go visit the people who were in more precarious positions. And I said that was fine. And then a few minutes later, Julia called to check in because she was traveling and I told her what had happened. And she said, could you please go visit Paul? And I said, yes. Now that was, I mean, there was nothing I wouldn't have done for Julia, but that was a big ask to go visit someone you don't really know in a nursing home um, is, is a, is, it's a big ask. But anyway, I went and I walked in and I said, hi, Paul, this is Stephanie. I work with Julia. I know who you are. He said, oh. let's go get ice cream. I thought, I don't care how bonkers this man is. It's fine by me. He's <laughs> 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 His priorities was, were correct. <laughs> exactly. Well, we had a pleasant chat and we went for a walk and then I brought him back to the, to the place and, and, and left. And it was, you know, he, and then from that point forward, I, I visited him much more frequently with Julia, without Julia. And I remember uh, when he was turning, was he turning 75 or 80? I can't remember, but, but whatever, it was a significant maybe he was turning 80. Um, it was a significant birthday. And I made a little cake for Julia to take, and she walked in and she said, do you know what today is? And he said, it's the birthday of a great man. And she uh, said, it is. She said, do you know how old you are? And he said, 62. <laughs> she said, you're as young as you feel. That's. <laughs> oh, that's the cutest thing. But I they, I mean, he, they, their relationship was so unbelievably loving and caring and respectful of each other and for each other. And that I think is why. I didn't like that first episode of the show. It seemed like they had to trick Paul into being supportive. Yeah. And I, that's not how, I mean, maybe that is documented somewhere, but that's not how Julia told me. You know what, honey, I think, and this is the, you know, as I started to watch it, and of course, since my background, I spent 30 years working in television, there has to be friction. Do you know what I'm saying? They want to make right. something that's got some tension in it or there. So there's always this, you know, the whole thing with reality television today where people choose the mate and then they turn around and say, but I, I already had sex with the, the other guy the night before. I mean, all of it is just to create friction that you hope that people will watch. 
Now, halfway through the first one of the new Julia, I thought this is just friction they're making up so people will watch. Do you know what I mean? Right. They want to think this because I, you know, and you're, but you're the expert. How stories were told to you by Julia, I would give more credence to, to the, than the screenwriter. Yeah, that and the other thing was that every time that they showed her running up and down those stairs, that's not what the house looked like. <laughs> So that bothered me. It wouldn't bother anybody else, but it, it bothered it bothered me. So well, because you work for 16 years at that house. She, there's no way in the world that she would have walked to WGBH unless their studios had moved somehow from downtown Boston. She was not walking 10 miles with a bag of stuff for that interview. And Paul would have taken her there. Of course. Now answer me this. You have to tell the story. I know this story, but it's so charming. I love it. Because you're the temp who never left. I need you to tell <laughs> well, it's true. I need you to tell the audience how you went to work for Julia Child, how you got the job with Julia Child. All right. So the the I'll give you sort of an abbreviated version, but it's a long story. Basically, I had convinced everybody that I knew and cared about that I needed to be in the culinary world. And this was, as you know, a time when we didn't really have celebrity chefs. Restaurants were known for the restaurant, not the chef. And pretty much the culinary world was the dumping ground for anybody that couldn't make it in the real world. Then you got (laughs) a job. And, And you could start like as a pot washer. And then if you stayed somewhere long enough, you would be taught to clean vegetables and then you'd end up being a prep cook and then you'd end up being on the line. And eventually if you stayed somewhere long, you could actually work your way all the way up to executive chef, which now you can't do because executive chefs have to have, they have to be media savvy, but they have to understand food allergies. They have to understand sustainability. They've got to do menu planning. They got to stay in the budget. There's, you know, a whole bunch that, that requires more education than just um, the school of hard knocks. But back then, nobody wanted me to go into the culinary world. And I convinced everybody that this was where I wanted to go. And then, of course, I got a job in Boston and I wasn't too keen on it. And I thought, I can't even tell anybody I'm not too keen on it because they're, um, they're going to say, we told you not to go in that profession. And, you know, so I just thought, all right, so what do I do? So I thought, I want to move from Boston. I'd seen the food scene in Boston anyway. I wanted to move from Boston to anywhere else in the country. And check out the food scene there, whether it was Tex-Mex or California cuisine or whatever it was. I didn't care. I didn't have enough money to pick up and go. I didn't have enough clout to say pay for me to move, or at least I didn't think I did. And so I thought, well, how do I get from Boston to somewhere else? I'm going to get a job in corporate America, work for a couple of years, whatever it takes, year and a half, until they'll transfer me out of state. And then I'll quit that job and work in restaurants wherever they've moved me to. So this is my brilliant plan. Okay. The problem with the plan was that I couldn't get a job in corporate America because I was the last group of students to go through high school and college without needing to use computer. And so you couldn't get a job in corporate America if you couldn't type and didn't know how to use a computer. And so I enrolled myself in the Catherine Gibbs Secretarial School. So they had this three-month entree program, which was a career changers program that taught typing and uh, shorthand and business English and using the computer. And so uh, rather than their two-year white glove treatment, I took the three-month program. 
and lined up a job with a big banking firm and everything was falling into place as it should. And the day before I graduated, Julia Child called the school looking for a secretary with a culinary background. And in the history of the school, I was the only one with that background. But it was funny because I was walking into my final typing exam and one of the placement office ladies came running up to me and she said, I don't want to distract you. I know you're going in for your final exam, but we just got a phone call from Julia Child. She's looking for a secretary with a culinary background. Can we send your resume to her? Well, duh. <laughs> so I said, yes, please. And uh, I took the, the test and then I went running across campus and ran into the placement office and said, so did she hire me straight out? Does she want to interview me? What's the office like? You know, what's the whole deal? And they said, she doesn't really want to hire you. She wants us to send other resumes. And I said, why? And they said, she didn't really say. And I said, well, call her and ask her. She doesn't have to hire me, but I'd like to know what's wrong with my resume that she didn't want to hire me. And they said, no, we're not going to do that. And I said, well, then how are you going to know who, you know, how to send a better resume? If you don't know what it was. Anyway, they were not going to be convinced to call her back. So I said, could I have her phone number? I'll call her. And they said, no, we're not going to give you her phone number. Little did I know she was actually listed in the phone book. I had no idea she even lived in Massachusetts. I thought she lived in California. At any rate, being the quiet, diminutive wallflower that you know me to be, planted my feet into the ground. And I said, dial the phone and hand it to me. And for whatever reason, they did. And so uh, there I was on the phone with five placement office ladies staring at me as I had about a 45 minute conversation with Julia, in which we talked about the food scene all over the US and what each of the chefs was like that I worked with and what it was like being a female student at the Culinary Institute when it was mostly male and all of this stuff. And interspersed between all of these, these conversations, I kept trying to get information about the job. So it turns out that the reason she was hiring somebody is because she had office gridlock <laughs> and she wanted to get through a backlog of a lot of fan mail. And so she wanted somebody to come Monday, Wednesday, and Friday for four hours each day. So 12 hours a week. So I said to her, well, Julia, hire me for a week. The worst that happens is you lose 12 hours of time. Give me a chance and let's see where we go. So she decided she was going to give me a trial of one week. So this was on a, on a Thursday. So she said, can you start tomorrow? And I said, yes. So now I get off the phone. And of course the placement office people are appalled because they're like, why aren't you going to go to graduation? I'm like, graduation work for Julia Child. I think I'll work for Julia. Thank you very much. And so off I, um, off I go. And I want to tell everybody that I'm working for Julia and I don't dare tell a soul because I thought if after 12 hours, she doesn't want me, sure. I don't want to tell everybody that I'm not good enough. So I go to bed that night. I wake up in the morning with this huge knot in my stomach, not because I'm going to work for Julia Child, but because I had never been a secretary before. And one of the reasons she didn't want to hire me was because she was worried that I was going to try and get into the kitchen. So I had to tell her about 500 times that I was, that I, and I lied. I mean, I deliberately lied. It's the first time I actually ever remember deliberately telling a lie. I mean, I know I lied in my past, but not deliberately. So anyway, I, I said to her, I've spent all this money. I just learned how to type. I don't want to get in the kitchen. Don't worry about that. Meanwhile, I'm thinking, just get my foot in the door. Just get my foot in the door. So here I am with this knot in my stomach because I have no idea what I'm walking into. And I kind of calm myself down by picturing in my head, Mary Tyler Moore and Lou Grant and <laughs> that office scene thinking it'll be fine, you know? So anyway, I show up and it was total mayhem in her house. I mean, just total craziness. 
And she opened the door herself and she said, you must be Stephanie. And I said, yes. She said, I forgot they're filming a day in the life of Julia Child for Canadian public television. And I said to her, wow, if you forgot that, you need me. <laughs> so that was sort of the start of our relationship. Um, at any rate, as I walked into the house, she said, I'm supposed to make lunch for myself. Please get this ready. And she handed me three Xerox pages from The Way to Cook because that was her newest book. And so I said, okay. And she turned and went to the left and they started filming. So I couldn't ask questions and I couldn't make noise. And I looked to the right and there was her kitchen and all the pots and pans and everything were there. So I thought, well, okay, I've got the, the equipment. That's easy. I look at the recipe. It's for Santa Barbara fish stew. And I think, I wonder if I need to go out and buy fish. So I opened the fridge and sure enough, she's got fish. So she hadn't completely forgotten anyway, but I don't know. Does she want it in stages? Does she want the whole thing done? You know, does she, how, how does she want this done? So I divide the fish into three equal sets and put the ingredients. And then I put, um, I, you know, I have it one that's, that's just measured one that's done in stages and one that's finished. Give her that sort of high five wave of, you know, okay, it's ready. And, um, and now I'll make myself some lunch. And they follow her into the kitchen. And uh, she takes the one that I've cooked in stages and combines it, no cooking, then takes that combined one and adds it to the finished one, no cooking. And then they stop filming and Julia and the interviewer and the producer and the cameraman and the hair and makeup lady and me, we all sit down at Julia's table and we eat the lunch that I cooked that Julia put into one pot. And she leaned over and said, this is very good, dearie. And I said, it ought to be. It's your recipe. <laughs> anyway, that was my first day. That was the Friday. And then I, I cleaned up and, let, and she said to me, well, could you just please tidy everything up and then we'll see you on Monday. And I said, OK, fine. And off they went to, to do more of their interview. I cleaned up. I go out to my car. I turn on the engine and I look and I see that I can still make it to graduation. So I zoom across town go sneaking into this graduation. So Catherine Gibbs had a, had a rolling admission. And, um, and so the three-year students or the two-year students were just getting up to, you know, they, they were just finishing getting theirs. And my group of colleagues were about to stand up to go get our two-month or three-month, whatever it was, um, uh, diplomas. And I sneak in and I joined with my group. And as we're walking past faculty and staff, the placement office ladies whisper, What's it like? What kind of software does she have? What kind of computer does she have? How many people work in the office? What is it? And I said, I don't know. I cooked lunch to these people that only heard me say 500 times. I'm not going to cook. I'm not going to cook. But anyway, yeah, so that was the start of my crazy time with Julia. So her original plan was really to just have somebody come in and, um, and clear out the backlog and then get rid of them. But she realized relatively quickly that I was a good asset to the, to the team. Oh, my God. Stephanie, it's so... Fabulous. And I can picture you and I can picture her. And now I have to tell you the other thing. I had a friend and I, you, it was early on. You wouldn't have been there yet. But I have a dear friend that has been a friend of my husband's for 40 years, Catherine Hall, who worked at WBGH or whatever. I'm sorry if I just said the numbers. BBH, <laughs> yep. Yeah. The station. She worked there because oh, it's such a circle of life. Her son was a student of mine at the CCA, and he's gone on to have this incredible career as a chef, a gorgeous kid, half French, half American, good looking. He's gorgeous. 
cooked in all the big cities. Well, I had helped him. I, I, I helped him once or twice in school. Not a great student. We know how that is, but he was so, I knew he'd be a great chef. So Catherine and I then became friends and she drops at lunch to me, taking me out to lunch to thank me that she had worked with Julia, that she had washed dishes, that she'd lived in Boston, that she had talked about the crew um, at the station. And I thought, my God, the world is this big. Do you know what I right. mean? Right. But she talked about it and she kept in touch with Julia for many years because she knew Julia in Santa Barbara because she lived in Santa Barbara. So the world is this big. But I bet Julia after that day with the fish stew, and this is what's really funny. That's one of Cindy's favorite recipes in the whole world is Julia Child's fish stew, Santa Barbara. Oh, isn't that funny? That's really funny. What are the odds of any of this, honestly? <laughs> honestly. I think she, I think I saw you two together, Stephanie. And after 16 years, I know that you finished her sentences and also you loved her. Do you know what yes. I mean? And she loved you. It was very yes. awesome. When I was with you two, I would watch you. I do have to tell people that when you're in a hotel room, I don't think there's anything more demoralizing in the whole world than when people came to Julia's suite knock on the door, their arms filled with wine, champagne, flowers, candy. These are people that were also from ICP and I would answer the door and they'd go, oh! remember that people, oh! and they're like, oh, where's Julia? And I see she's right here. Julia was sitting down with you or Julia was just getting something. She was putting on her shoes, but I had answered the door because I could and people, like we're accusing me of kidnapping her. Right. I say, Julia <laughs> and Stephanie are right here. I was just the available person to answer the door. <laughs> oh, their faces and disappointment was horrendous. I can't even. <laughs> that was some fun times, Miss Stephanie. Now, after I know when Julia passed away, because you came to my house that night and had a turkey burger at my kitchen table. I don't remember. You drove, you called me and said, the I next, the next night. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. got to get out her. And you had answered like a thousand emails. That's mm -hmm. what you'd said to me. And I bet that wasn't even all the emails, but you would, you know, answer. Right. and the next night. And I was, I felt I was heartbroken for you because you had lost not only your boss, but a really dear friend, like your grandmother, like someone who was, you know, family. Yes. And it was, I don't know if people can, you know, uh, uh, all of us felt badly enough, but with your relationship. Now, tell us, so after you had to do all that and you helped break down Julia's house, didn't you again? I mean, you yes. broke down yep. the house. And helped with the Smithsonian. If people, I, I need to say this, if people have never seen this, if you've never been to the Smithsonian in Washington, D.C., they built Julia's kitchen. Yes, they transported it. The yes. interesting thing is that the Smithsonian never makes permanent exhibits. So they track the demographics of who comes to see the exhibit you know so age range yes. um gender um ethnic background um and they also track how long typically people spend at each exhibit so when the kitchen first went in 
they were bowled over because it appealed to young, it appealed to old, it appealed to middle-aged, it appealed to male, it appealed to female, it appealed to whatever gender connection you want to put yourself in. It appealed to um, uh, people that cooked, it appealed to people that didn't cook. I mean, and people were typically spending 15, 20 minutes, even a half an hour at the exhibit where typically in the Smithsonian, people spend five to 10 minutes maximum at a space. So we thought, well, this is great. They'll obviously keep this for a long time. But they did remind us several times that nothing is ever permanent. And then we heard that they had still continued, you know, because when an exhibit is new, you get a lot of people through. Sure. But that after a couple of years, it was still being visited by the same numbers, if not more. And what they have now since done is they have revamped the exhibit. So it's now not only Julia's Kitchen, but it's a whole exhibition about food and television. And it includes um, wine and beer segments. And it shows sort of the tangled web that we, we weave, what a small world the culinary world is, how this one taught that one, who influenced this one. And, and, um, and it's just amazing how the exhibition has, has grown. Um, so it's really worth going to see. I would, everyone, I would say everyone who's connected to food in any way or eat, people just that loved Julia on television, people that loved your cookbooks, definitely go to the exhibition. It's extraordinary. It's extraordinary. My, my parents went to see it a couple years after it had opened. Um, I was not with them. And my mother was mortified because my father kept stopping people and saying, that's my daughter's picture on the refrigerator. Oh, oh. <laughs> oh look at the phone. She's SJH. That's speed dial one. <laughs> it was just so funny. <laughs> no, I get it. I think your father, he had every right to be doing that. Yeah. Well, they were, they, in spite of the fact that they weren't too encouraging about me going into the food business, they were very, very proud of me. And so that was really quite nice. Well, I think after 16 years, they, uh, you, you did all right, Stephanie. You yeah. did all right. <laughs> Okay. And after 13 years of being with Julia, she decided to close up the house in yeah. Massachusetts and move permanently to California. So my plan to get shifted out of Boston into somewhere else actually worked. It just took a <laughs> long time. <laughs> Honey, I remember you had a darling apartment in Santa Barbara. I came to visit you. We went out for dinner, but I knew that you didn't love Santa Barbara. True. But that's, you know, you did your, you did your time there. There was nothing that I would not have done for Julia, including right. murder. <laughs> and rightly so. Hey there, this is producer Cindy. We had so much fun with Stephanie. We went way over on our time. We'll end this episode here and pick back up where we left off next week. Please subscribe to us on Podbean. Apple Podcasts, or follow us on Facebook or Instagram, or shoot us an email at womenbeyondacertainage at icloud.com. Thanks for joining us this week. Bye-bye.